chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 7. It's kind of in the middle of a paragraph, but verse 7. Mark chapter 1 and verse 7, and it says this, and this was John's, that's John the Baptist, this was John's message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels were attending to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that as we take these moments to look into it now and, and just look at what you see ahead for us, or at least some of that, we just want to pray, Father, that you'd be with us, that you'd speak to us, that you'd uh, call to us from your word, that we might follow you more fully. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I read the story just the other day of an American shoe salesman that was sent by his company to sell shoes in Africa. After a couple of weeks of this salesman being in Africa, he wrote a, a telegram home to the company at home and said, I want to come home. Nobody here wears shoes. So the company brought him home and sent out another salesman. After a couple of weeks of the, sale, the new salesman being in the same place, he sent a telegram back to his company saying, this is great, everybody here needs shoes. You see, it depends on what you see. One person saw people who don't need shoes. Another person saw a whole nation of people who did need shoes. So it depends on what you can see. So what can you see? What is it? that you can see. Last week, Peter Stevens spoke to us from the life of Caleb, and he told us, among other things, that Caleb saw beyond what was visible, and he had a whole lot to say about that. So what can you see that's beyond what is visible? What are the things that we can see as a church that are not yet visible in the visible realm? God has been showing us. Let me just share a couple of things that I can see that are not yet visible. I see a world where people know God and follow Jesus. I know that's going to happen because God's Word tells us that that's what's going to happen. So I can see a world that knows God and follows Jesus. And I can also see a world that has a, an active, vibrant church to worship in. God's Word tells us that opportunity will be there as well. And I can see us playing a part in that. Of course, we're not going to be the sole answer to the world having an active, vibrant church. There's going to be churches everywhere, as there already are, for people to worship in. But I can see us 
playing an active role in that. You know, as well as the things that are not yet visible, there are also things that are visible that we can see. And if, we, if we're honest, and, and I, we're, we're honest people here, we, we will admit that often it's the things that we can see that influence the things that we can't see and it should be the other way around. But there are certain things that we can see going on in our world around us that make us wonder if God is ever going to accomplish the things that he has promised to accomplish. Now, I believe he will, but let's just take a moment to think about some of the things we can see. You see, it's become a very, very hostile world for Christians to live and minister in. I got an article sent to me a week or two ago about a Christian woman by the name of Amanda Sue Markham. Now, you've probably never heard of her. A good reason for that. Uh, at the moment, she lives in Perth. Uh, Amanda Sue was standing for, as a Liberal candidate for a local election in uh, South Australia. Amanda Sue is also a, an intensive care nurse. And as the Liberal candidate, she was giving an interview and being asked questions about what it's been like nursing in intensive care during these last months with the issues of COVID. And she was answering the questions uh, honestly and fairly. And then a journalist asked her a question about her husband's views on same-sex marriage and homosexuality. As soon as the question was asked, the Liberal leader stepped in front of her and wouldn't allow her to answer and shut down the interview. Later on, when he'd done a little bit of research and found out what Amanda Sue's husband's attitudes were, the Liberal leader distanced himself. Now, what were her husband's attitudes? Amanda Sue's husband was a Presbyterian minister. And when they lived in Tasmania a couple of years ago, back in 2017, during the same-sex marriage debate, Amanda Sue's husband had spoken out for the marriage, biblical view of marriage that, that most of us would hold, that I certainly hold. Marriage is between a man and a woman, and one man and one woman. And uh, he was called before the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Commission, along with the Archbishop of Tasmania, and after 12 months, tons and tons of money, lots and lots of stress here, complaint was just thrown out. And he wrote an article, and he began the article by saying, in 2017, an 18-year-old named Madeline was sacked from a job for putting on her Facebook page, it's okay to vote no. So she got sacked because she held a biblical view of marriage. Amanda Sue's husband was called before the, uh, the Anti-Discrimination Commission because he was sharing his biblical understanding of marriage. Amanda Sue was shut down as a Liberal candidate because she also held Christian views of things like marriage and homosexuality and so on. You remember also a couple of years ago 
uh, the issues with Israel Folau, just to name another person, banned from playing rugby in Australia because of his Christian views. Margaret Court, again, greatest tennis player in history, also persecuted just for holding Christian views on marriage and sexuality. Now, there's not only marriage and sexuality, there's a whole host of other issues that if you share your Christian convictions on that, you're going to be held down and persecuted for those beliefs. It's become a very hostile world for Christians to minister into. Only have to look at how news from Hillsong is reported. Any little thing that can be found against them, whether it's financial, sexual, or anything else that can be found to be used against Hillsong. Now, you might not agree with everything Hillsong says and does. That's okay. But they're Christians ministering into a hostile world. And as you and I do the same, minister into a hostile world, you're going to find it's not so easy as well. It's very hostile. People are going to be against us. People already are against us. And making it dangerous for, for us to share our faith. Even posting something on Facebook now can lead to trouble. So it's a dangerous, hostile world that we're ministering into. You know, it was a dangerous, hostile world that Jesus ministered into as well. It hasn't just started now. It certainly was in Jesus' time, and he was branded as a uh, if they'd have used those terms at the time, he would have been branded as a racist and a sexist and a bigot, just as we are today. In fact, you might remember a few weeks ago our premier called what we would call Christian ministry, the premier called it the worst forms of quackery. You know, a quack was one of those snake oil salesmen from years ago who would try to sell you a remedy, you know, take this and it'll fix ingrowth toenails to, you know, to um, bowel cancer or something. Just completely ridiculous. That's what we call quackery. And that's what the Premier uses, that's the term he's used to describe Christian ministry. So it's a hostile world. It was a hostile world in Jesus' day as well. And this passage that we've read this morning recorded in all four Gospels. You can read this same story in all four of the Gospels, so it's an important story for us. This passage shows us how Jesus began his ministry into a hostile world. And there's some things that we can learn from it. Now, as we look at this passage, and uh, there's a reason why we're looking at this passage to to see how Jesus launched his ministry into a hostile world. Because today, as I said earlier, we're exploring our, or laying out our focus for this coming year. And no matter how we like to dress it up or dress it down, whatever we do as Jesus followers, the ministry that we're about, the witness that we have and try to shine our light into our community, no matter how we look at it, we're doing it into a hostile world, a world that doesn't want to hear that message, at least says it doesn't want to hear it, 
a world that wants to shut down anything remotely connected with Jesus and our faith in Him. So how did Jesus begin His ministry? We're going to look at that in a moment. Before we do that, I want to just take a moment to just lay before you the focus that I see for us for this year. Now we talked earlier about things that we can see that are not quite visible yet. How do we make those things visible? Well, one way to make those things visible is to, to keep our eyes on the one who we can't see yet, but who makes all things visible to us. So here's our theme, our focus for this year, really simple. And I want to keep it simple this year. Our focus, our theme is going to be re-focusing on Jesus. Re-focusing on Jesus. Now, there's a, a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, last year was difficult for us. If we've learned anything from last year, one thing we should have learned is that we need to hold our plans really loosely because you don't know what's going to happen next. Last year was difficult for everyone. And for churches that were not able to gather together, like us and every other church, it was a difficult time to keep that focus on Jesus that we need, that we're going to follow him. And so I've sensed after coming through a difficult year, it's good for us just to take time to refocus on him. Now, it's possible that we've lost our focus through last year. It's possible that your attention was grabbed by other things and your focus has gone off Jesus. Good for us to refocus. It's also possible that, you know, those things that go on within a group of people, also, that tension that can, that can sometimes happen within a, a group of people like this can also take focus off Jesus. And I felt, as I prayed earlier this year, that we need to pause for a moment, maybe the whole year, and refocus on Jesus. Now, what can we learn about Jesus and how he launched his ministry that could help us as we focus on him through this year, not knowing what's ahead for us, but knowing the world is a hostile place for us to minister into? Well, there's three things that I see in this passage that happened to Jesus that probably need to happen to us as well. We can learn from Jesus' example. As I said, all four Gospels have this story of Jesus being baptized. And all four Gospels in some way or other uh, describe Jesus' baptism and then Jesus going into the wilderness to be tempted. Now you from a human point of view, that doesn't make any sense. The high point of Jesus' life and ministry to that point is baptism, heaven open, the Father speaks to him, the Spirit descends, and then Jesus goes into the desert. It just doesn't seem quite right, but there's a reason for it. So, three things really quickly. The first thing, verse 10, says, As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven open, being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. You know, in that verse, I see an encounter with God. An encounter with God. 
The Bible is filled with stories of people having encounters with God. If you go to the bookshops, you'll find lots and lots of books of, of people who've had an encounter of some kind with God. In that verse, it tells us that the heavens were torn open and the Father speaks. You know, the only other use of the words for torn open in Mark's Gospel come in chapter 15 where Jesus is hanging on the cross just as he dies. Mark tells us that the curtain in the temple was torn apart from top to bottom. So you get the idea that when we read those words, torn apart, something big is happening. Something important is going on. This is an encounter that Jesus is having with his heavenly Father. You know, Paul, the great apostle, had an encounter with God. Remember the story in uh, the book of Acts where he was on his way to uh, the city of Damascus to persecute more Christians. And as he was approaching the city, we're told a bright light shone from heaven and blinded him and knocked him to the ground. And then God spoke to him. Why are you persecuting me? And, And then you read the story of how Paul was led because he couldn't see anything, led into the city and eventually uh, someone came and prayed with him and his eyes were opened again. And Paul was a different man from that point on. Now when you read the rest of Paul's life story, at least what we have of it in the book of Acts, Paul was put in prison, he was mocked, he was beaten with rods, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked people rejected him. It was a hostile world that he ministered into and yet he never, ever wavered. Now I'm sure he had moments of doubt. Am I really on the right track? I'm sure he had those moments. But the picture you get is of someone who's absolutely certain of the calling that God has on their life. Where did that come about? I think it was because of the encounter that Paul had with God that day on the road. Peter was another person who had several encounters with Jesus. You remember the story of the time Peter and his friends went out fishing and they caught nothing and Jesus was standing on the bank and he said, well, throw your net in on the other side of the boat. And they did that and and suddenly there were so many fish they couldn't pull the nets in. And Peter realized he was in the presence of God. He said, God, go away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinner. It was an encounter for Peter that changed him in some way. Do you remember also the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus when they were crossing the lake and a storm blew up and and it was as though the boat was about to sink and the, the disciples panic and Jesus eventually wakes up and with a word comes the storm. And again, that was an encounter for Peter. And you see the effects of that encounter for Peter later on in the book of Acts in chapter 12 when Peter is arrested and put in prison. And it's told in that story that on the night before they were going to bring Peter out for the crowd, which means he's going to be killed that day, you know, but they were going to have fun doing it. On the night before that, Peter was sleeping. 
that's amazing. I find that just absolutely mind-boggling that, that Peter would be sleeping the night before he's about to lose his head. Why did he, how could he do that? Why is that possible? Because of the encounter he'd had with Jesus. Jesus sleeping in the storm, everything is going to be okay because we're in our Father's hands. Peter learned that lesson. And so when he's in prison, sleeping for the last time in this life, he knows whatever happens is going to be okay. I'm in my Father's hands. That encounter changed Peter so much that he was able to go out and minister into a hostile world. You know, we can believe in Jesus. We can read this word or hear it read and preach to us. And we can accept that it's true. But unless there's an encounter of some sort with God, it's just words we believe in. When trouble comes, we'll fall away. We'll be shaken. It's that encounter that sets us up for ministry into a hostile world means we'll never be shaken. It's that encounter with God that's also an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The heavens were torn open and the Spirit descended. And what we're meant to understand out of that is that Jesus was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and took control of Jesus' life all through that encounter. Have you had an encounter with God? An encounter that sets you up for whatever this hostile world has. It's that encounter that will make all the difference. Second thing I see that happened to Jesus is Right at this point, we see a secure relationship between father and son. Verse 11 says this, And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. You heard your father say that to you? You see, as Jesus is about to enter into ministry in a hostile world, having had this encounter with God, now it's a secure relationship with his Father. There's so many people in the world today who don't have secure relationships. David had a secure relationship in his Heavenly Father. We're not sure exactly when that was first grounded in David's life. I think it was while he was keeping the sheep and he got to know his Heavenly Father, but we see when David faced the giant Goliath. Everything David said and did were the words and the actions of someone who was absolutely secure in who they were and who their Heavenly Father is. There was no doubt in David's mind. There was doubt in the rest of the army's mind. King Saul and the rest of the Israelite army, they didn't have a clue who they were or who their Heavenly Father was, but David knew beyond any shadow of doubt. So he marches into battle with five, five small stones and uses the giant's own weapons to kill him with. 
there's a man who was secure, and he needed to be secure because for the rest of his life he was going to be fighting the battles of the Lord to establish God's kingdom in Israel at that time. David needed a secure relationship. Jesus needed to know there was a secure relationship with his heavenly Father. And so this was the moment that relationship was uh, spoken out, was made secure, that everyone understood, was declared that you're my son and I'm your father. So how's your relationship with your heavenly Father? Is it secure? You know, Jesus speaks a lot about particularly in John's Gospel. I and the Father are one. I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. We are one. You can't say that if your relationship's not secure. We're going to need secure relationships in God, with Him, if we're going to be effective ministering into a hostile world. Now, I did some reading this past week and I discovered that experts have discovered how important it is for children growing up to have secure relationships. Actually, I think it's important for all of us. Here's just a few of the things they've discovered that are benefits of secure relationships. They've found that people are happier and less angry when they've grown up in secure relationships. They've found that people can solve their own problems or solve problems on their own or ask for help when it's needed. They found that people who are secure in their relationships can form lasting relationships with other people and get along better with other people. They found secure relationships mean better relationships with their brothers and sisters. Fancy that. You wonder why the kids are fighting. Check with mum and dad's relationship with the kids. People who've grown up with secure relationships feel better about themselves and what they can contribute. They're more protected against feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. All of these things come out of secure relationships. They trust more easily. They know how to be kind. They believe good things are going to happen. All of these things and more come out of being secure in your relationships. You know, there's lots and lots of Christians who are struggling to live their Christian lives just because their relationship with their Heavenly Father is not secure. Jesus starts his ministry with an encounter with his Heavenly Father and with the security of his relationship with his Heavenly Father. An encounter and a secure relationship. Third thing I see in this, in Jesus preparation for ministry. It's this. Surrender brings deliverance. Did you know that? Surrender is kind of counterintuitive for us humans. Surrendering will bring deliverance in our lives. You see, we read, as I said a moment ago, in all four of the Gospels about Jesus' baptism and the Spirit descending on him filling him, and then we read Jesus was led by the Spirit or sent by the Spirit or in some Gospels driven by the Spirit into the desert or into the wilderness to be tempted. Now we read in another place in the Bible that Jesus was tempted with all the temptations that we are tempted with. Now just imagine that. 
there are some things that I'm tempted with that I'm sure you're not tempted with. And there are things that you're probably tempted with that I've never even thought of. But Jesus was tempted with everything that we are tempted with. Imagine that. All of the temptations of humanity, Jesus was tempted with. Quite an ordeal that Jesus had to go through. Verse 12, just to 12 and 13, just to connect with the verses here. It says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Like I said, we struggle with that idea of the Spirit leading us to trouble. We kind of have this notion that come to Jesus and everything will be all right. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and all your troubles will be over. Wasn't the case for Jesus. He got filled with the Spirit and then 40 days of tempting in the wilderness. It kind of doesn't fit with our picture of what life with God should be like. You know, this opportunity of Jesus being tested and tempted is an opportunity for Jesus to choose a different way. You see, we know that Jesus was God, perfect in every way, but we also know that he was tempted with all the human temptations that there are, and he could have chosen to give in to any one of those. This is the moment, or the 40 days, this is the episode of Jesus having the opportunity to choose to give in to those temptations or to stand righteous in his heavenly Father. Jesus has the opportunity to choose just like you and I do. You ever think about that when you're tempted? You've got an opportunity to choose? We, we like to think that the devil made us do it, but actually you do have an opportunity to choose in that moment of temptation. What do you want to do? Which way do you want to go? Who are you going to give in to? Jesus surrenders to his heavenly Father and to the Spirit who's living within him. You know, Jacob, from the Old Testament, went through lots of testing in his life. Jacob needed to be tested and tried. Jacob was a scoundrel. There's no other way to to describe Jacob. Even his name means trickster. If Jacob could pull the wool over your eyes, he'd do it twice. And again, while you weren't watching. And when Jacob was returning to his home, after running away from having deceived his father and his brother, we read of an episode of Jacob wrestling with God. This is an opportunity for Jacob to encounter God but also choose a different way if he wants. And we read that following this episode of Jacob wrestling with God, he surrenders and gives up in the, in the fight. And from that moment on, Jacob is a different man. God even changes his name, calls him Israel. Jacob is a different man, but it comes through surrender. Now, it's significant that Jesus is led out into the desert or to the wilderness. You know, we've got stories through the Old Testament of the Israelites being led for 40 years through the wilderness, being tested by God. The desert uh, 
speaks of a place of testing. The 40, 40 days that Jesus was in the desert being tested also speak of testing, but desert can also speak of deliverance because it's through the desert that God's people, the Jews, were delivered. And so was Jesus as he surrendered to his heavenly Father and the Spirit within him. So we're going to refocus on Jesus through this year. If we're going to be empowered for ministry into a hostile world, we're going to need an encounter with God. We're going to need secure relationships with our Heavenly Father. And we're going to need to surrender to Him. And that's how we're going to refocus on Jesus through this year. We're going to create an environment where we can have an encounter with God, where we can have lots of encounters with Him. Through our worship, through our times together, we're going to focus on opportunities to have encounters with our Heavenly Father. We're going to focus on opportunities to get that relationship secure. And we're going to focus on opportunities just to surrender. You know, we often think that we've surrendered completely to God until He asks us that next thing. And we say, I don't want to. Or no. Life is filled with surrenderings. And so we want to take the opportunity to create an environment where it's easy for us to surrender together to our Heavenly Father. Now, just one more thought before we leave this passage. Very quickly. I read from verse 7. And in verse 8, I think it was, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's important. We can't overlook that. We can't skip beyond that that, uh, ministry that Jesus has among us. And when you hear that Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, chances are you're thinking of something like what happened in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Tongues of fire came onto the disciples as they were worshipping and praying and then uh, the ability to speak with different languages uh, came onto them and they were empowered for ministry and did all kinds of miracles. And that's certainly part of what John was talking about. It certainly is part of what John was talking about. But you see, there's a difference with Jesus coming with a baptism of the Holy Spirit and John coming with a baptism in water for the forgiveness of sins. You see, John could only really talk about the guilt that we're all experiencing and washing that guilt away. Jesus comes with a message of life and hope. And Jesus' message is a message of life and his life in us. That's the point. And it's, it's not like just join my club and everything will be all right. But Jesus' message is, I want to live in you. He wants to live in you and me. And he does that by his spirit. That's why when Jesus was baptized, the spirit descended on him. And we're told it remained, filled him, took control of his life. Now it's the spirit living through Jesus, not just human Jesus. So when you and I are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus living in us by His Spirit. So it's not you living your life. It's the Holy Spirit living Jesus' life through us. 
And if we miss that, then we haven't got anything. If we miss that, Jesus' life in us by His Spirit, then we've got absolutely nothing. We're not empowered for the ministry that God's called us to. We're not equipped to minister into a hostile world. We have nothing. Jesus was baptized. He had an encounter with God where heaven was torn open and the Spirit descended on Him. Jesus' relationship with His heavenly Father was secure as God spoke to Him of love and purpose. And Jesus surrendered as the Spirit led Him, drove Him into the wilderness and surrendered within Him to the will of His heavenly Father. As we do that, we're going to be equipped to not only on Jesus, but to minister to a hostile world that doesn't want to receive our message and is going to respond to that message because we're equipped to share it. Now, I say the world doesn't want to hear our message. There are still lots of people in the world who do want to hear it and need to hear it. And that's why we need Jesus' witnesses in our community and in our world. So, refocusing on Jesus. For some of us, it's going to be focusing for the first time because we've never focused on Jesus to the extent of having an encounter with Him, being empowered by His Spirit, developing a secure relationship with our Heavenly Father and surrendering to Him. For others of us, maybe we've just wandered the last 12 months or so and we need to refocus, whatever the case may be, what we want to focus on this year. We want to get our focus back onto Jesus so that we're empowered to live and minister to Him in a hostile world. Can we pray together? Father, we thank You for these stories of Jesus' life and for His example of ministering into a hostile world. And Lord, for us, standing at the beginning of this year, preparing for whatever's ahead for us and so much of what's ahead we can't see yet. But knowing, Lord, that you want to use us to minister into this hostile world. So, Father, as we begin to refocus our lives on you, would you just tear heaven open for us or we might have that encounter with you where heaven is torn open and your spirit descends on us again. And, Lord, would you just secure those relationships. That relationship that we have with you so that there's absolutely no doubt in our minds that we're your child and you're our father. And Lord, would you lead us to that point being prepared to surrender completely to you. Allow you to deliver us from those difficulties that we face in life and in ministering into a hostile world. Father, we want to commit this year into your hands and we want to commit ourselves into your hands. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song then we're going to have some fellowship together. If anyone would like prayer for anything, feel free to come. Love to stand with you in prayer. But let's sing.